Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week we have my friend Hannah Ashton joining us. Hannah is an 18-year-old YouTuber, influencer, and entrepreneur. She has grown her current channel to over 145,000 subscribers, and she uploads videos weekly about women, lifestyle, empowerment, and productivity. She also manages a team of young women digitally as they help run the company's blog, social media, and her personal podcast, The Hannah Ashton Podcast. She strives every day to inspire young women to pursue their dream career and lives no matter their age. I love this conversation because Hannah did not let her age hold her back and she's played the long game. She started creating content knowing that it would build, that it wouldn't be overnight success, but it would build into something that she wanted to carry for the long haul. So I think this conversation is important and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know you're going to love it too. So guys, if you love this episode, please screenshot it, tag Hannah, tag me and share it. Tell us what you love about it. Not only does this make our day, but it helps spread the word as well. So without further ado let's dive in hey hannah hi how are you great i am so excited to have you on the radiant podcast i really think we're gonna have a fun conversation today i can't wait for the radiant tribe to get to meet you i would love for you to kind of start by sharing your story who you are all the details that make you yield Absolutely. First off, I'm so excited to hear this after come after your intro because I love your intro. It's one of my favorite podcast intros. It's so cute. But anyway, so I guess I'll start with where I am kind of right now, just because I feel like maybe I am probably younger than a lot of your podcast uh, interviewees. And so currently I am 19 years old and I am at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a freshman in college and I have been doing YouTube since I was 10 years old. So we'll go back. We'll go back to then. So in around 2010, I really started watching other YouTubers. It was kind of the birth of the beauty guru industry and all of that. And I was just obsessed with seeing this world outside of my own. And it it was, I was obviously very young, but it was also just so intriguing to me how these girls were just sharing their lives. And when I would have a bad day at school, I would come home and watch uh, someone like Bethany Moda or Blair Fowler talk about the makeup they liked or the holidays coming up. And then I also got into American Girl Doll YouTube channels. And that is when I asked my parents if I could start a channel, which is very scary, I'm sure, for any parents out there to let your 10-year-old <laughs> yeah. daughter on the internet. <laughs> but I had a lot of American Girl Dolls. I loved doing their hair. And I got a camera and started actually it was through my camcorder on my little pink laptop. That was the one thing I asked for for my 10th birthday it was a little pink laptop with a webcam so I could take pictures and make American Girl Doll stop motion videos. And so that's what I did. I started uploading to YouTube, I wasn't allowed to show my face. And so I just posted my dolls and my tips and tricks and grew that channel. I think right now it has a little over a 1000 subscribers. But at the time, I was just so happy to have even 10 people watching and interacting with me. And 
I was kind of, I don't, I don't know if you would say weird girl in school for doing this, but it was obviously way different than what most girls were doing when they were, and guys, at 10 years old um, in 2010. And I did a lot of other things as well as YouTube. I was in choir and sports and musical and all of that. But YouTube has been really the one thing I've kept up with all through middle school. And then in high school, I decided I really wanted to hop on the beauty guru train. And so I asked my parents if I could start showing my face and do makeup videos and fashion videos. Realized I'm not the best at doing (laughs) makeup and stuff on camera. I don't know who watched like a 13 year old girl do her makeup and thought it was helpful, but people watched. And (laughs) then recently I've kind of found a new niche in the past few years, which suits me a lot better than doing the makeup and the fashion, still a little bit fashion, but mostly now I do just women's lifestyle as a whole, specifically for high school to college aged girls. And then uh, in 2017, I was volunteering slash working for a online digital magazine called The Letter. And I made some really great contacts through there. And the founder actually reached out to me to help her with her YouTube channel, just because I was a girl on the team who had previous experience. And so I started putting together her YouTube channel and helping her with videos and titling and tags and all of that. And she mentioned to me one day, Hannah, you're doing such a great job with this. I love the work that you're doing. I could totally see you doing this as a career, you know, after college. College. And I thought, yeah, that'd be awesome. That is a great idea. And I couldn't not stop thinking about it uh, for days after that. And so it was then my holiday break uh, of 2016. And so all over the holiday break, I kind of figured out how to put together an actual website because I had little experience outside of YouTube besides a few blogs, but nothing really super professional. And so I started playing around with Wix and figured out what it would be like to have a WordPress site and just more professional aspects that I wasn't used to because everything was hosted on YouTube or Instagram. And in January of 2017, I launched my own website. And on there, I offered courses and consulting for women wanting to start a YouTube channel. And I started this thinking it would be mostly just my younger viewers, maybe 13 to 16, who wanted to start a YouTube channel, like when I, about the same age that I did. But through this, I found that it was actually older women in their 20s, late 20s, 30s, and even 40s, uh, reaching out to me, who was 17, 18 at the time for help with their YouTube channels. And so I did that all through 2017 and a little bit into 2018. And then now I've realized that where I want to go with this is focusing on in-person events. And so in August, this past August, I hosted my first in-person event, which was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And that was a whole experience in its own. It was a lot different than obviously talking to women through digital, but that was awesome. And now that I'm in college and studying entrepreneurship and probably going to add a double major of marketing, I've decided that with my schedule, I don't have the time to do the consulting and the courses, but I do want to still work on some kind of product or continue to work on in-person events that kind of contribute to the young woman's productivity. You can start your career any age, that whole idea. Wow, Hannah. So you've had quite the journey. I really don't meet very many people who got started when they were 10. (laughs) Um, So first, I'd love to hear kind of, you know, it sounds like you've learned the art of pivoting and evolving. Um, What would you have to say to someone who's just trying to figure out what they want and, and to make peace with the okay, with the idea that it's okay to change courses? Absolutely. I 
was really scared at changing courses when it came to the bigger ideas like business. Like when I decided I was going to stop doing the consulting, that was scary because I thought, okay, like I need to stay consistent with something. Uh, and, but then I realized I looked back on my YouTube channel and realized that I had been consistent with my YouTube channel over the years, uploading at least once a week, sometimes usually twice a week, uh, very consistent with that. But I was constantly pivoting in my topics because I was growing up on YouTube. And as you grow up, you change interests. And so I realized that at that time that I had been doing this for years without even knowing it. I was pivoting in my YouTube channel, which I also consider a business now. And so that gave me a lot of peace, but going along with the consistency bit, I realized that if you're true to yourself and what you're interested in, then pivoting is totally natural. Obviously, if I was doing a YouTube channel or a business that I had no interest in, I was just in it for the money or, or, or the fame or whatever, uh, pivoting would be much, would be way scarier. It would be way more of a risk because I wouldn't know if people would follow along or something like that. But I found that if you really stick true to what you're interested in, and if those interests, you know, shift at all, and you decide you need to change directions, that it's all going to be okay, because the underlying bit that's still consistent is that it's you. And so if you have followers, or you have clients that love you for you, then they're going to be totally fine with you pivoting. Yeah, absolutely. I know that I personally have pivoted quite a bit along the way, but it sounds like you have eight years of ex nine years of experience. So it's pretty incredible. One thing I loved hearing you say is, you know, you really, the giftings you had were really identified and called out um, when you were serving someone else, when you were working for the letter. Um, I've actually had Lauren on the podcast. I think she's like episode three or four. Oh my gosh. And so I think it's cool for you to be using your natural gifts and talents, serving, you know, uh, another organization and for them to identify, hey, you're good at this. You should teach on this or you should really explore this avenue. Would you say it's important to kind of have people calling out your giftings in life? How did that, you know, really pave the way for you to step into, you know, this expression of what you're doing? Was that pivotal for you? I would just kind of love to hear your thoughts there. Uh, yeah, I first off love Lauren. She has become a good friend to me now as we've worked together over the years. So I'm so happy to hear that. But, oh man, I, that's why I always recommend to, especially young women like my peers and friends and all of that to get in unpaid internships or volunteer work because in the moment you may be like, well, why am I you know, answering emails for this woman when I'm not getting paid or something like that. But really, you're going to learn so much that experience. And a big part of you learning through that experience is going to be the mentorship you'll probably get out of it. And I mean, some mentors, they are priceless. And if you can, you know, just do some work for them on the sides and give your gifts where needed, then that's gonna be amazing. And it'll be those mentors that are really thankful for you. And they're going to be very thankful for you if you're doing a great job, you know, and not constantly asking for a promotion or a raise, they're gonna be there very thankful for you. And through that, they'll probably reach out to you and be like, you know what, this is what I see in you. This is how I would love to help you even more. Or this is another path you can go. And that's what I found with all of the mentors and internships that uh, I've done is that you always take away something. And a big part of that could be that they just help explicitly show you your strengths. Because for me, I, one of my weaknesses is taking feedback. And so if I'm just, if I'm not looking for feedback, then sometimes it's hard to take it, especially. And that's where I found mentors have been helpful because they say it in a, in a nice way instead of just, you know, a hate comment telling me I need to change this part of my channel, a mentor will, you know, redirect me and show me in a caring way what I need to fix, which can be hard to take, but it's better coming from someone you trust.
Yeah, and and I think the beauty of having a mentor is you have allowed them to have that voice in your life. You know, I had a friend say to me last year, it doesn't seem like you take criticism very well. And while she had a point, you know, there were elements, and, and we've had this conversation, there were elements of, well, I wasn't asking her, but it's not like I wasn't asking for feedback. You know, I wasn't asking for her feedback on that aspect of my business or my schedule or how I was running my day. But I had four or five women in the role of mentor giving me advice on how I structure that avenue of my life. And so I think sometimes having a mentor gives them a unique role, a unique voice where you're willing to hear it. You've let that person in. Maybe you don't let every single person's opinion reign in that part of your life, but a mentor really fills a valuable space there. One thing you mentioned that I think you know, is worth exploring is it, not taking criticism well. But if there is a space on the internet that people dish criticism, it is YouTube. So how do you handle the haters? I have been really thankful uh, and lucky, I guess, in the fact that there hasn't been anything that's just completely torn me down, you know, had a meltdown over it. And I think that comes from me building my audience slowly, very progressively. I didn't spike in a huge, you know, million subscribers overnight. I've been working on my on my following for years. And through that, I've kind of weeded out the people that aren't really there for me that are just there for the certain videos. And I found that on my videos that have gone viral, uh, there's a few that have gone over, you know, hundreds of thousands of views, one over a million views. And it's those videos where most of the viewers don't know me, they're not subscribed, so they're not following my channel regularly. And they're the one those are the videos that get the most weird comments that I'm just <laughs> I'm kind of taken aback at first because I'm not used to those comments. But at the end of the day, if I can reply in a you know nice way and I can address whatever questions or issues they're bringing up, then I'll do that. If it's just straight up mean, then I just delete it. And if it's kind of just whatever, uh, if it's some of them are really comical in that I just don't know what the person was thinking when they commented that. I will share it with a friend and we'll have a good laugh over it. And so I think it depends on the comment, but having a few different ways, a few different mechanisms to to cope with the hate has definitely helped me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very valid of like being able to gauge like if this is a viral post, I'm not going to let it carry as much stock as, you know, a post with my tried and true crowd, you know, hanging around. But at have you had to really um, explore, work on your identity? Like, has this, I feel like I'd have my butt in a counselor's chair pretty regularly if I was dealing with that level of criticism. Because I think, you know, I, I understand having an audience, but I think YouTube has its own, it's its own unique little dragon to tame because my friends who are YouTubers really face it in a, in a way that is kind of next level than what anything I've experienced. Yeah, I agree. It was very hard to grow up on YouTube. Uh, I mean, <laughs> my videos when I was 10, 13 years old are still there. And so if people wanted to go back and make fun of them, they can. I mean, I'd probably just laugh along with them because my voice, I felt, sounded like Mickey or Minnie Mouse. And I was just babbling on about who knows what. But so that was definitely hard. But I can't imagine not doing YouTube because I think it shaped me in so many amazing areas growing up on YouTube that I would not have learned if I didn't do that. Some of them being confidence, uh, it definitely helped me get out of my comfort zone because even though I'm not talking to live people, I'm still talking to a camera and having to kind of have this online persona, which really shaped me into, you know, the personality I think I have today. It's just kind of that same idea. 
But definitely, especially when I was younger and kind of less tuned in to who I was, you know, at 13 years old, you don't really know who you are yet. I was very self-conscious of who I was online and the fact that I was talking about makeup and beauty when most girls my age, you know, we were just getting started with all of that. And I have never really opened up about this before, but I was really insecure about having a YouTube channel and boys in my grade or boys that I knew liking me when I was young. I was like, oh, they're not, I'm not going to have a boyfriend because I do YouTube and that's just weird and too intimidating. And the fact that I have a following, like that's too intimidating for a boy to ever like me. And so I was really secure about that. And so it wasn't, the fact that people were commenting me things that was hard for me with YouTube. It was just the whole YouTube persona in my real life and kind of figuring out how to draw a line between my real life and, you know, growing up and being in middle school and high school. Wow. Yeah. That's one thing that I would love to kind of focus on too is releasing your art into the world is really vulnerable. And I think something you just said is really relatable of like you almost well, it's almost easier to release it. I, at least I find you might have a totally different opinion. I find it easier to release my art, my creativity into the world with strangers. And I'm most insecure with the people I know in my real life. So how, how did you navigate that? Because like you said, having a boy you like when you're 13, stumbling upon your YouTube page and kind of know all these little nuances about you and, and being able to make fun of you if they want to. How did you navigate that? Because that's very vulnerable. And how has that affected your relationship with vulnerability in a positive way? Yeah. Again, I've been really grateful in the fact that thankfully I never had a ton of straight up bullying through my YouTube channel. I know a lot of YouTubers who you know, they'll walk into school and people will start would have laughed at them because they had a YouTube channel. Mine was more just inside my head. I thought that that was happening, even though I'm not sure if it was. I also went to a really small schools. Um, my high school, our graduating class had 15 kids. And in my middle school, we had like 30 kids. And so I really just at a young age made a priority. I did not know I was doing it at the time. But looking back, I can tell that I kept with YouTube because it was a priority of mine over maybe having a boyfriend at the time or, you know, worrying too much about what the cool girls thought. I was just like, you know what, to me, it's more important that I keep doing what I love, which is making videos, even if only 10 people are watching, than you know, being a part of the cool crowd or getting a boyfriend young or whatever it is. And I think that has really paid off in my life positively because the relationships I have made have been very strong. And I, I've actually realized that a lot of my close friends, uh, I have one best friend that I've been best friends with since first grade. I think it's funny that she doesn't keep up with my content. She doesn't really watch my YouTube channel or listen to my podcast. She'll like my Instagram photos, but that's about it. And I'm actually thankful for that. Maybe people think that's kind of weird, but it's just nice to have obviously so many amazing friends through YouTube, but also have friends that are in the world at all. And I can kind of separate and be very vulnerable with them because I know that they're not going to release it into my YouTube world and stuff, you know, personal aspects. And same thing with my current boyfriend. Now we started dating about a year and a half ago. And I think one of the reasons I was so drawn into this relationship was I was not looking for a relationship because I just decided that at the time, um, I wanted to focus on, you know, YouTube and all that stuff was going on. I just didn't feel the need for a boyfriend. But the reason we started that relationship was because I could feel vulnerable with him because he wasn't obsessed with social media or with my YouTube channel. He just saw it as like a cool thing I did. It wasn't all of me to him. And I really, I really valued that. And so 
to answer your question, uh, I think finding people that know who you are outside of your online business, your online Instagram, whatever it is, just finding people that see the real you um, and that you can share those intimate moments with without having to worry about it being all over online. All right, guys, you know, if I'm timing out the podcast right in the middle of some really juicy conversation, it has to be for a great reason. Well, it is. The FabFitFun seasonal subscription box is available right now, and it's something I look forward to seeing on my doorstep every few months. So I asked them for a coupon code so my tribe here at the Radiant Podcast could enjoy it too. I'm that into it. These boxes sell out fast. So, you have to really jump on it, but I'm telling you, it's because they're so good. They're packed full of products from beauty, wellness, to fashion and fitness. You'll find everything from Tarte Beauty products, items from Anthropology, Free People, which if you've been with me for a while, you know I love, Juice Beauty, Trina Turk, Bear Paw Chi, Kate Somerville, and that's only a few of the brands. There's a huge variety. One of my favorite items I've seen was the Moroccan Gold Series Treatment Mask. Talk about feeling like a queen, but whenever they send, it's always trending brands, high quality, full size, y'all, full size, products that really get you ready for the season ahead. The box retails for $49.99, but always, and I mean always, has a value of over $200 inside. You know me. As an Enneagram 7, the word fun speaks my language, y'all, and these boxes are just that, fun. Every time I open one, it feels like my own personal boutique in a box. But what I love about these boxes is there really is something inside for everyone, no matter what products or brands you love. Best part, they're customizable to the types of items you'd prefer to receive. And they always end up having so much inside that I give some of the products I love to friends. I know my friends would love them, and I like to have a gift that keeps on giving, right? Check out fabfitfun.com and use the code radiant10 so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. You guys, I would never promote something I don't love and believe in, and this really is such a seal. I mean, you never hear ads on this podcast, right? So if I'm talking about it, I really, really love it. I just had to get this code for you guys, and that code radiant10 will work forever. So no matter when you're hearing this episode go live, you can snag that radiant10 code and go over to fabfitfun.com and use it for $10 off your first box. So let's get after it. Go treat yourself. You deserve some fun and glam in your life. I love that. I I can totally, totally resonate. It's so nice to have someone love you for who you are and not just what you're doing. And not everyone who loves what you're doing doesn't love who you are, but it's just nice to have that kind of separate entity. I have a few best friends who really just don't even like function in my spaces at all. I don't even know if they really know what I do or how I make a living, but (laughs) they, they love me and have, have been there. Our history, you know, we have so many years of history at this point that they've watched it all. It's really cool. One thing I love to talk about with influencers and we have, we have all kinds of people running businesses on this podcast. So not everyone would really fall into the, the space of being an influencer, but I would certainly say having 150 plus thousand um, subscribers on your channel would qualify you as an influencer. How do you navigate kind of the pain? And maybe you haven't experienced this in a large scale, but the pain of people kind of stepping on you to get to the top. And I I ask this to a lot of my friends who are kind of operating and functioning in the influence space, because you'll 100% have people who don't do that. I have 
plenty of friends who are influencers who don't need something of me. We need something from me. We are friends for the sheer sake of being friends. We don't care about each other's numbers. But then you do have people where you realize, oh, I went on a coffee date with them. I thought we were going to be friends and they just wanted to pick my brain. Mm. How have you navigated that? To be honest, I'm just starting to realize that aspect of the influencer space. Growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, it's not a big influencer market. And so I wasn't surrounded by influencers a lot, which I'm thankful for, but also it's kind of upsetting that I wasn't going to events constantly like other influencers. But when I would go to events, when I would go to BeautyCon New York or StyleCon Dallas, it was shocking to me, actually, the difference between, uh, you could totally tell the difference between the influencers that were there because it was like their job and they just kind of stood to themselves in a corner and, you know, were just on their phones doing the Instagram stories, making it look amazing. And then the influencers that were there that were so down to earth and really wanted to get to know you and wanted to talk to you and, um, I'm just going to brag on Danny Austin right now. She is a, a pretty big fashion blogger in, in Texas. And she was one of the people that stood out to me that was so sweet. And she, you could tell that she was there for anyone and everyone who wanted to talk to her. Like she has an insane following, but she was there for the personal connections. And honestly, I haven't had enough experience to say how I navigate that yet, but right now I'm trying to follow her example and just really give my time to everyone. And then however they decide to use that time is up to them, but I'm just going to give my all and, you know, have a coffee date with whoever and however they want to interpret that coffee date. If they just want it for the Instagram story, or if they just want it for my top 10 tips to grow an Instagram following, it's whatever. But if they do end up wanting to start a friendship with me or something, then that's awesome too. And so that's kind of what I've decided as I saw her example to me last year at that event, which it, it just was so amazing. And I just want to do the same. I love that. So uh, to kind of piggyback on that question, how do you find, how do you toe the line between being generous and being available to serve and equip people, but also to create boundaries so you protect yourself? Because I had a conversation with a friend where I was like, wow, that girl just sat down with me with coffee, asked me how to grow an Instagram following. I gave away everything I knew. And then she unfollowed me and that hurt my feelings because I thought we were friends. And I literally just gave away what I charge people for because I thought we were friends and she clearly doesn't want a relationship with me. Now there could be other things like maybe I'm posting something that's triggering her. Who knows? Maybe she needed to do that to protect her heart from something. We all have the right to unfollow people, but that was a very real lesson. And, and my friend thankfully is very blunt. Uh, was like, Kelsey, just because I sit down with coffee and pick your brain doesn't mean I want to be your friend, unfortunately. And so you need to do the work of creating your own boundaries. I have never had someone do that to me in person, like your example, but I get that that through DMs all the time. Um, constantly getting DMs about how to grow your Instagram following, like you said, or how to start a podcast, how to start a YouTube channel. And I find the best way to, you know, battle with these is I obviously still want to respond because if they're a follower of mine or they like, they usually start it with some aspect of, oh, I love your videos, that kind of thing. And obviously I want to acknowledge that they're, they're helping me out. But usually what I do is I navigate them to some of my content that explains the question that they're asking or what they're trying to get from me. Because I have podcasts about how I started my business. I have YouTube videos about overcoming the fear of starting a YouTube channel. And so if they're being super personable and like long messages, yeah, I'll personally respond to them with a few comments. But if it's just kind of blunt, Hey, I like your YouTube channels. How could I start a YouTube channel? I'll just refer them to content that I already have. And usually they're good with that. And then if it tries to go in, they try to go any farther and I just am not getting a good vibe from it. And 
I can kind of assess the situation, then I just politely uh, will respond with like, have a great day or something like that. I haven't gotten anything where it's been too bad where I had to block, but I do know a few bloggers who have just been taken advantage of through DMs that they had to block. And then their friends who were also bloggers in the area, they had to block this one person. Then she tried showing up for an event and it was just not a good situation. So I'm thankful I haven't gotten to that far yet, but I found right now just navigating them to the content I already have out there that's out there for everyone has been helpful. That's good. That's pretty good. So one thing I have been eager to ask you, because you mentioned it kind of as you shared your story is um, I grew slowly. I didn't have a spike and, you know, a million followers overnight. What would you have to say to someone who's trying to stick it out for the long haul and gets discouraged and disappointed? And, And one thing I really, really love to talk about with influencers is expectations. I, I was recently in a group and someone was like, our goal is to get to a million subscribers by the end of the year. And, and I just was like, man, that's just really unrealistic unless you're banking totally on luck. But how do you say that? You know, and so how do we create an ex- and ex- healthy expectations of, of how we grow and steward our influence and playing the long game? Yeah, I get discouraged probably once a week at least with my YouTube channel. And so that's just to give insight to all those out there who are starting and are ready to go for the long haul. But do get ready because there are going to be times where you second guess your content and you second guess what you're doing. And uh, you get upset that the video that you did only got a thousand views while another girl did the same exact video and hers got 10,000 views. It's it's really hard to not compare yourself online, especially when it's a, now considered a business as well. So now, you know, it's my part-time job. I It's my part-time job that I like to call my full-time job because it feels like I'm working on it full-time. But you know, now that my livelihood also depends on these numbers, it's so easy to compare. But what I found is the reason it's so difficult to have those unrealistic expectations is because YouTube is a platform that you don't own. And so a lot of times in business, they'll tell you, if you work hard, then you're going to get the output you want. If you believe in yourself, you work hard, then you'll get the output. But with YouTube, a lot of the times it depends on what YouTube standards are. And a lot of creators are kind of seeing this tug of war with YouTube because big U- big creators are making awesome content. They're getting tons of views. But because YouTube doesn't necessarily agree with every part of their content, they're restricting that. And that can be really hard when obviously they're making millions of dollars off of this and it, they've been doing it for years. And so I, that's what I do say be cautious with when having when you want to be an influencer and you want to make social media a full-time gig is you don't own Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. And so it could drop like the drop of a hat and all the hard work you put into it is gone. And so that's when I started to realize I needed to also build uh, a website and an email list and all of that. But definitely don't think that you obviously can happen, but it's it's so hard to grow a following overnight because of the fact that it is so up in the air. It all depends on the tags. It all depends on the titles, but also it depends so much on YouTube and that is something you can't control. And so that's why I have to remind myself when I get down and depressed about my videos and going the long haul, but not seeing the, the reaction that I want. I have to remember that that I'm not in control of all of this. And the only thing I can control is the content I'm making and the attitude I have about that. And that's why I find that I have to make the content that I like to make, because if I'm only making content for for views, then I'm never going to be satisfied and the long haul will just stop. You won't be able to take it far. And so really focusing on why you're making content. Is it because you want to help just one person in the world? Or is it because you just want to help yourself through a rough time and it's a creative outlet? Really decide what the reason you're running to start this YouTube channel is. And then whenever you get down about 
you know, constantly uploading and no one watching it, think back to that initial reason. That is so good. Such good advice because I think it can be really discouraging. I really want to um, kind of continue on that line of thought of uh, a lot of us have built businesses at the mercy of algorithms mm-hmm. that constantly change. And I think with YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, more than ever, we're seeing the value of, oh my gosh, we have to build a list. Um, and we have to have an online hub that we own. It's kind of like renting versus owning. We rent space on social media and we own our online home. And so um, what would be your advice for people who are starting out or just right in the thick of it of, oh, I've built this space where I show up, I have a following, I have an audience, I'm making a little money, but I really need to think about the long game. And if things change, where are my people going to be able to keep up with me? Yes, the tip that I took uh, from many different like bloggers and online sources to do this is I and I'm currently in the process of doing this is to create that website and create that uh, email list. I use MailChimp. And it's, you know, it's free to start out with you don't have to put a ton of money into this if you're not at that point yet, but create the list and then how to get your following from YouTube and Instagram to the list is to create, you know, the little Oh, I just learned the actual term for these the other day, but it's like the worksheets and the videos and the extra content. Yeah. So basically now what I've started doing and I need to do more. So this is a mental note for myself to do more. But when I make a YouTube video, let's say the 10 tips for having a productive morning. So I'll say the 10 tips in the video and then I'll make a little worksheet on canva.com. It's also free. I'll make a little worksheet on what the 10 tips were and then I'll have it set up. So in the video, I say, click the link in the description box if you guys want to get a worksheet so you can be reminded of the tips in this video and you'll also sign up for my email list. And they click the link and they get taken over. They put in their email. They can download the worksheet with the 10 tips and be reminded of them whenever and without having to go back and watch the video. And so I found that's how I've been able to transfer a lot of my followers that watch my YouTube and my Instagram into my email list seamlessly without just begging, hey, please join over here. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Very cool. Yeah, I I too, um, about a year into kind of building my online audience, um, really creating a space that was my online home uh, via social media. I was like, oh, wow. We saw Periscope basically disappear overnight. One day, everyone's talking about it. You know, everyone needs to hop on board. Wow, that person's growing so fast on Periscope. The next day, it's pretty much gone. I mean, people still use it a little bit, but not not really. And so it is, you know, I don't think Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Pinterest are going anywhere, but things can change. Our views can decrease. They can change one little tech algorithm and we, you know, it's a whole different ball game. And so I'm a big fan of getting those, um, those followers over to your email list so you can always inform them where you are. So Hannah, one thing you, you know, mentioned recently is having an event. How did that go? What is it? What does your future look like as you kind of pull away from consulting and courses and move into the event space? So I, the event was a big learning experience for sure. I actually got the idea for it when I was on a plane back from Phoenix, Arizona, after I spoke at my first conference, the blogettes, the workshop in February. And I had such an amazing time there with my mom. I was feeling so inspired on that plane ride back home. And I just mentioned to her, I want to do something like this in my hometown, Knoxville, before I head to college. 
And so I was on the plane and I was making notes in my phone of where I would be, what kind of vendors I would want or sponsors, what kind of speakers, that kind of thing. And it's funny because right before the event, I looked back on my initial notes that I made on my phone and two stayed the same, the location and the topic, but everything else that I had planned on that plane ride had shifted and pivoted and changed when the actual event came around. And so it was a big learning experience for me. I was also graduating high school at the same time. So I graduated high school, did my school's last musical, all of that. And then in June is really when I started planning for this event that would take place in August, two weeks before I moved to college. So it was just a lot going on and very many ups and downs throughout the summer. Some days I would be so on fire for this event and I would, you know, secure a sponsorship. I'd get a speaker or I'd figure out an idea for the flyers or something like that. I would sell a ticket. And other days I would feel so down. It took me forever to sell all 40 tickets and I thought they half of them would sell out the first day I announced it. So that was a big learning curve in itself, uh, just to, you know, not trust or just rely on what you think to actually do product research and market research. But that was a big up and down. I was like, am I going to sell enough tickets? And then I started doubting the actual event. Am I going to have enough food? Are the goodie bags going to be worth the 30 price of the $35 ticket? And then I didn't have my third speaker till about two weeks out. I didn't have any food sponsors till a week out. And then all throughout this, I was also just worrying that I was wasting my summer, my last you know summer before I started college on my business. And I had friends and family that I also wanted to hang out with. And so I was, it was a hard summer for me, honestly, looking back uh, just mentally. And so what I learned from this was I need to not take on everything myself. And the next event I do, I'm going to delegate tasks and I'm not going to run it all myself. I'm not going to be the one emailing everyone. I'm not going to be the one putting up and driving around town, putting up flyers, also doing all the digital marketing, also, also planning the food and the actual setup and all of that. The event actually went amazing. Looking back at the pictures and the video, I am in awe of it because in the moment I could not even take it in. I could not even relax. I remember when the two hours were done and we had 30 minutes to clean up, we cleaned up. Family was there to help me. Friends were there to help me. And I was just so exhausted. I went straight home and took a nap and I couldn't even be thankful for the fact, the fact that the event went on. And so that was a big wake up call for me. I was really upset with myself. I was like, Hannah, I know you did something great, but you're, you're not even recognizing it because you're so exhausted. And that's when I was, I realized I was burnt out. I was overwhelmed. And so I took a break from focusing so much on my business. I still uploaded YouTube videos cause I was transitioning to college and I wanted to capture that aspect, but it's really, it was really about a month ago in October when I started getting back into my business and having new ideas and feeling alive again for my business. Cause I was so burnt out from the event, man, I can totally relate. So Obviously, I think we all want to get to a place where we can delegate, hire someone, but what would you say to the person who has to hustle, who has to be scrappy, who has to do it on their own because they're they're a beginner. They can't hire a team quite yet, and is it worth it? Does it pay off? It's hard, but you know, what do you do if you can't hire a team? Yeah, I think it, to answer your question, is it worth it? It definitely is worth it. Those 2 months were 
crazy. And like I said, it put me through a lot of mental processes. But in the end, I'm really thankful for that time when I was so against delegating, I wanted to do it all myself, because now I know all the different aspects. And so now moving forward, uh, I'm actually starting to plan we're in the works the beginning works of an event for next summer. And it's split 50 50 between me and an actual event planner who reached out to me. It's a thing. But now I'm thankful for the event I did do on my own because I know all the back ends. And so if then in the future, when you do hire someone or you bring on an intern, you know what they're going through when they're emailing all these sponsors or reaching out to influencers and you can help them in that regard and still kind of feel in control of your business. Because I feel like if I delegated a lot of the works, uh, for this past event to people, then I would not have learned as much at all. And I would have felt kind of lost. Like if I hired someone to contact sponsors, I would have been thinking, Oh, are they doing the right thing? Are they being polite? Like it's my name they're going under. Like I want it to all work out well. And so definitely thankful for the time of being scrappy with this event and the time I was scrappy starting out with my YouTube channel too. I still answer all my sponsorship emails. I still do all of the branding, all the editing, all the filming for my own YouTube channel, still hundred percent scrappy with that. And so some scrappiness just never goes away, but I found that it is going to be hard at this time when you're just going forward full speed ahead and trying to handle it all. And, but it'll, it'll pay off when, when you succeed and when you can get to the point of hiring, then you're going to look back and be thankful for the, those experiences. Uh, also what I found I had to do was had to turn everything off for a few days throughout the summer. So if, if you're being scrappy and you're working hard and for three days straight, take the full day off. I went on a hike with my boyfriend right when I was in the thick of it. And it was the best thing because it was like a six hour hike. I had no cell service. I I had no clue if I was selling tickets. I had no clue if everything was falling apart and it was amazing. And so also remember to take the time for yourself and totally unplug and give yourself time to relax and see the bigger picture. I I 100% agree. I think it, it always pays off. And I I really believe that by doing it on your own the first time or the second time around, it allows you, again, like you said, to see pain points that you would never know if you totally delegated. And I've, I've, you know, I've done it both ways. I've delegated before I fully understood something and um, it was hard and stressful uh, because I really didn't even know what to look for. I had no idea what was going wrong. And so after that experience, I was like, I'm going to learn this from the inside out so that I can delegate appropriately and still be a, a part of the mix in the future. And then sometimes I've waited way too long to delegate and, you know, finally hired someone to do kind of a task I'd been doing for three years that was eating up a ton of time a week. And I was like, why did I not do this sooner? Why did I drag my feet? There's no way we can do it all alone. So one thing kind of I would love to touch on before you go is, you know, we often look at someone online and we admire their life. It's easy to get sucked into comparison, but often they're 10 steps ahead of us and have a team helping them make that happen. And in the beginning, like you said, you're you're, going to have to be a little bit scrappy and you might not have all the resources of someone who has, you know, one or two or five people on their team helping them carry out and execute everything. What would you have to say to the person kind of just getting started building their online influence? Yes, I go through this all the time, especially with Instagram for some reason. Uh, I don't have a photographer or an awesome husband that can take my blogger styled shots like a lot of the girls I follow. And so I will look at their Instagram feeds and be completely overwhelmed 
obviously they're very inspiring and that's why I still like to follow them. But I just get really down on myself that my pictures don't look how theirs do. And what I have to, what I do to combat that is I follow people in the same place that I am in. I listen to podcasts where girls are also in college and also trying to run a business, but I also listen to podcasts where from millionaires, you know, 10 steps above me. And so I think having a good gauge of the stages you have to go through has really helped me with that. So yes, you can follow the people 10 steps ahead for inspiration, but also find people and like-minded people in your stage in the area you're in. So you can discuss the problems that you're going through and have more of a relatable, reference when things do arise and you want just someone to talk to about them. Yeah, that's such that's such great advice because I I think I got to a really jaded place last year where I was like, you know, you see the Facebook ads that if you do this, if you do XYZ, you're going to have a million dollars next week, you know. <laughs> Not really, but I think it's really easy to buy into um, building a business is easy. Building your influence, which is a business, is easy and it's not. We don't look at opening a storefront in our hometown and think, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars overnight. No, we fully expect the first three to five years you're operating in the red a lot of the time. You still have a loan from the bank that helps you open your doors for your restaurant, your coffee shop, your fitness studio, whatever. But with the online space, we somehow have bought into the lie that it's easy. And I just think what we can do with our influence is kind of debunk that and highlight that no, like this is, this is playing the long game, just like a brick and mortar business. Um, and it, it's not overnight, you know, that phrase, uh, 10 year overnight success. A lot of people are trudging along behind the scenes before they really catch that big break. So Hannah, it has been such a joy having you on. Where can everyone find you? Where can they keep up with you on YouTube, Instagram, all the places? Cause I have a feeling people are going to want to follow along. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've, I've had so much fun. So basically Hannah Ashton, uh, Ashton is spelled A S H T O N that's on YouTube. I have a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Those go up once a week. Uh, but Instagram is miss Hannah Ashton M I S S. And then Hannah is actually where you can just go for all of that. Awesome. Hannah, it has been so fun to have you on. I think you are wise beyond your years and I'm so thankful to know you. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Love your podcast. And just thank you all. Thank you to your listeners as well for listening along. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other.